So, um, Kristen, tell us, you not only love the name Kirby Puckett, tell us what you love about that baseball player, Kirby Puckett. Well, I just love the athleticism displayed by Kirby Puckett. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, and, and also, if I may, the uh-huh. physique. That's right. Tall and uh, lean, right? He got a juicy booty. <laughs> you just Googled him. No, I've never seen him before in my you life, to, but I am Google going him. to make the assumption oh. that he got a juicy booty. He's built like a fire hydrant. Fire See? hydrant. Some would say a spark plug. He definitely, Kirby Puckett, definitely had a juicy booty. The hollow buddy. And we all. Greetings and salutations, bunnies. Filled bunnies. All of you listeners are bunnies that have a lot of filling. I'm Kristen Zeman, and I am here with my co-host, Sylvia Moyer. We are both former police chiefs, uh, but the Hollow Bunny podcast is not just for cops. It is for anyone who has an interest in talking about life and leadership and particularly the lessons that we've learned about both. And those lessons fill up the metaphorical hollow bunny. So Sylvia, tell us who is our guest today on the Hollow Bunny Leadership Podcast. Oh, Kristen Zeman, get ready because we have Braden Bishop with us. Braden Bishop is a native Californian. He was raised in Northern California and distinguished himself and in sports, I know we won't get specific about. Well, we might say some stuff about sports, Kristen. So you got sporty just ball, sporty ball. Hold, hold tight, and she's going to call your uniform a costume, Braden. It's okay. So Braden Bishop uh, distinguished himself when he went to UW and played baseball, and then he was he was selected by the Mariners, played in the Mariners organization, has had an extraordinary career in baseball, and beyond that, he. Uh, was struck by personal tragedy when his mother was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And Braden Bishop didn't just wallow in it, he took action. And we're going to talk about some of that. We're going to talk about the resilience it takes to be a professional athlete, how he kind of got through the anguish with his mom and then starting this uh, for mom and what that looks like and how it is really contributing to the greater good in the world. So, hey, listeners and and millions of you that are out there listening, you're going to have some nuggets that are going to show you that Braden Bishop has a very full bunny. He's a leader among leaders. And Bray, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited uh, to be here and talk to you guys. You bet. So Bray, let's just start with, let's start with a professional, being a professional athlete and kind of the, the rigors of that. What what is it that fills you to keep you uh, intentional and working to perfect your craft? Kind of give our listeners an idea of where you are right now and what you do and kind of how you got there. I, mean, I think it all centers around my why. And I think the beauty of, and you hear it all the time, like um, one of my favorite speakers, Simon Sinek, he had like his famous TED talk about, why and he puts like all these diagrams on on his board um and kind of like everything centers around your why but i think the thing i've figured out through time and trial and error is my why changes based on like where i'm at in life and i think that's totally okay Uh, i think sometimes it could be scary for people 
you know, cause like, I don't really know. I don't really have one. I'm 30 years old. I don't have a why. I don't think that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it evolves. And for me it has, cause when you go from uh, a single guy to then have a girlfriend to then have a wife to then have a family, like your why is going to change. Mm. So I think for me early on in my career, my why was, um, my mom. Um, and like you mentioned, obviously some things happen with her medically and it just kind of put everything in perspective for me, made me realize that there's a lot more happening outside the lines of a baseball field than there is on it. Um, so it helped me put things in perspective and I didn't take the game so serious. Um, but that doesn't mean that my work wasn't any less intentional. It doesn't mean that I stopped doing what I had been doing to get myself to where I was at at the time in division one. Uh, and then I kind of went into getting married while also being a professional athlete. So now you have, it's not just all about you. Um, but you still have to find time to prioritize yourself and, and your career. Uh, and then that led into my, when my son was born in 2021 and that changed everything, like really made me realize that baseball was not that important and life had way more to it, way more depth. And there was way more for me to discover there. Um, and so I'd say like, I, I mean, I've said in the past perspective changed my career. Um, from my mom to marriage to then having a son. It's been, I think, that journey of discovering <clears throat> kind of what's important. And it doesn't have to be baseball, obviously. You know, I think we all have our careers, but we also have so much more off the field. And I think the sooner you can find perspective in it all, it will provide clarity you know, when you, when you do have to navigate the trials and the successes and stuff like that. Oh, I love that. I love, I want to pull something out that you said there, because I, I think people need to be reminded that we are an evolution and that our whys change, you know, with every, you know, coming year, you know, the Circa Braden, you know, that started in baseball or was, you know, coming up as, you know, a young baseball player is so different than present day Braden and, you know, and our whys uh, they shift the you know the evolution of ourselves uh, I, I love that so much I think people need to be reminded and given some some grace about you know that whole idea that we're chasing something but then bringing things into perspective when you talk about your mom you know I mean your your voice changes you you the, the passion you can hear it can you take me back before you became who you are is baseball has that always been since you were you know little is that was that always the dream did it was it very purposeful or did it you know kind of the talent you know found you or did you seek the talent how did that how did that manifest in your life uh, i think the beauty of my athletic career has been playing all sports uh, and then it started at an early age, you know, whatever season it was, that's what sport I was playing. So it wasn't like I was just um, locked into baseball, which I think in turn made me a more complete athlete. So I always um, recommend that kids play all sports for as long as they can. Um, so I played hockey, soccer, football, baseball, um, you know, just 
basically what at basketball, everything. And I would say probably around maybe 12 years old, we moved from Vancouver, Canada back to the Bay area. Um, and hockey is obviously huge in Canada and not so much in California. So the closest team travel team, um, was in San Jose, which was about like a 50 minute drive. And then obviously California barrier traffic, you add another like 30 minutes. And so that would have been like three or four times a week. And as a 12 year old, I didn't want to do it. And I remember walking in the rank. We were late because of traffic. I had never met anybody on the team and they're all on the ice. So I had a choice go get dressed and go on the ice. And, you know, it's pretty embarrassing as a 12 year old, like showing up late and nobody knows who you are. Um, And I remember sitting in the locker room with my dad and I was like, I don't want to do this. And he was like, okay, well, if you don't go on the ice, like you're done playing hockey. And I remember saying, okay, I don't want to. And I made that decision out of pure fear. Like I did not want to be embarrassed. Like I just want to get out of there. And, you know, it ended up working out like I made it to the major leagues, but I regret that moment mm. because I, I really do think that hockey was my best sport oh, and I really, gosh. really enjoyed it, too. So I definitely regret that moment. Um, I always held out hope that I could go play with my last remaining year of eligibility in college, but I don't know what colleges are taking a 30 year old who last played hockey when he was 12. So um, that's, yeah. And then, so that kind of was the the fork in the road that drove me to baseball. So let me ask, I, I'm so sorry. I, I have to ask. So then would you, and now that you're a parent and this is, you know, I, I have four kids and I can, t- I can tell you how many times where I was like, you get your little butt in there. Yeah. You know, like my son didn't, did not want to wrestle and, you know, we signed him up and, you know, so now that you're a parent and let's say that that same scenario presents itself and your kid, you know, is standing there like, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I don't want to do it. You know, what would you do? with that information that you now have, you know, in your database, would you push it or would you just go, Hey, because you could argue that honestly, that was a pivotal moment. Uh, I mean, you, it wasn't planned, but by you not walking onto that rink, your trajectory changed. And honestly, it ended up pretty okay. You know, but you, you know, what if, like, what would you do in that moment as a parent? That's such a good question. Um, We're I'd here say, for the hard questions, Braden. Yeah. This is not, these are not softballs, sir. No. <laughs> um, you know, I think my, looking back, I think my dad handled it right. Um, but I also think, I mean, Syl knows my dad pretty well and he's pretty impulsive. Like he definitely lets the emotions drive his conversation. Um, and so he was pissed, you know, he just sat in traffic for however long and, he knew how good I was at it and how much I enjoyed it. And so it was like more of like a, okay, if you leave, then you're done. Like you're never doing it again. And, you know, I, I made the decision out of fear, obviously, but I think if it were my son, I probably would not maybe use such a scare tactic. (laughs) Uh, Love you, dad. But uh, (laughs) I, I would probably, you know, just try and have a conversation like, Hey, if you leave, it's going to be really hard for you to get back in it. I know you really enjoy it. And maybe like, why do you want to leave? And then 
because I remember that moment. I would have said, well, I'm embarrassed. You know, I don't want to go on the ice and everybody see me. So that that's probably how I would approach that and make it more of a teaching moment. As someone who has been around sporty ball his whole life, mm-hmm. and I've got my own kids. I've got a 10-year-old son, an 8-year-old daughter. Our rule is uh, before the season starts, you can decide not to play the sport. But if you start, you're finishing the season. Now, in your dad's defense, you never actually started that hockey season, so I think he's okay. I think he passes my yeah. test. You will find you did. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And that's that the parental rule. Right. And that was a moment for you, Bray, that uh, that really it was a there was some finality. If you do this, you will never again. And there may be there's a real leadership lesson there about nudging folks, having, you know, your dad let you speak your truth. Yes, it was a decision made in fear. But might there have been just a pause with an interaction with an off ramp? a safe place, and then a real on-ramp that may have just changed, you know, your life. I don't know. I think there's a real leadership lesson there. Do you see that as something that you would reflect on and really um, serve to fill you where you would be a different guide for someone else, if whether it's your son or someone else similarly Absolutely. situated? Absolutely. I, uh, I mean, my son's a little too young to, like, have a conversation <laughs> back, but... <laughs> I definitely, that's whenever it does get to that point. Like, I obviously know I have a a lot of wisdom to share. And I've been through a lot in my life, as we all have. Um, And I'm sure, you know, whatever he goes through, I probably would have been through. So when it comes to those moments, you know, obviously I want to teach. You know, I want to help and serve him and be his dad. But at the same time, like, he might just want me to listen. And so sure. for me to have like the awareness of, and obviously this doesn't just go in like father son relationship. This can go in like boss employee. This can go in coach player. Um, but to just have the awareness to be like, Hey, do you want me to give you advice or do you want me to just listen? Yeah. And like that just totally changes the dynamic. You know, I haven't used it with my son yet, but I've used it in other, um, you know, with my brother Hunter, um, since, you know, he's younger than me. So, and he's been through everything, the Pac-12, getting drafted, minor leagues. And so to like start the conversation off like that, like it definitely would let him know that I, it's not about me. It's about you. Yeah. And I think that totally changes the dynamic of a conversation or an interaction. And, you know, you said something in there that is such a leadership moment uh, that you've really pulled out of there is if perhaps you would have been given the opportunity or if your dad would have pressed as, so why don't you want to go onto that, you know, into that rink, right? And so many times fear presents itself as, you know, is defiance or, you know, in even anger. And, you know, I can remember so many times as the police chief where I said, I would rather you walk into my office, you know, angry because we can work with that because it means that you feel something, you know, you care, you know, versus someone who is apathetic, but it taking the time 
to ask the question and to kind of peel those layers away is that you weren't being defiant. No, I'm not going on the rink. You were, you were genuinely scared. And that's what most of us face is that, you know, fear of ridicule. Right. And that was presented in that moment as a 12 year old. Right. You know, and so such a leadership lesson to take the time and ask the questions and try to determine what the emotion, the origin of the emotion is. Yeah. And what's so, what's so compelling? I mean, knowing your dad and your family uh, go to the end of the earth for each other, right? And so what's so interesting is so many of us have those moments where you're like, I'm completely mortified. I do. I just want to throw my sucker in the dirt, stomp off the playground, get out of here. Uh, And there are moments like that in every arena in which we operate. I do want to shift in this in this moment and kind of tug on this other thing with you, Bray, of watching you Uh, play baseball. As an observer, one thing that's remarkable, you connect with the the umpires. You connect with them every single game. And I've watched this year after year. And and to me, it's not not an ass-kissing connection. It is, hey, we are all out here on this field together. You're doing your job. I'm doing mine. What is that about for you? Am I missing kind of the the reasoning for that no i mean definitely definitely not ass kissing for sure i mean (laughs) even if i did the times i've tried it didn't help so (laughs) i stopped that long ago but um umpires have a especially in the minor leagues they have an even tougher journey than we do because i mean obviously we have way more spots we have nine on a field they got four and umpires can umpire until they're 70 years old if they want. So hmm. there's not a lot of turnover. They, you know, when we go to a city and play in the minor leagues, we're, we're at that city 70 games of the year and then 70 games on the road. Um, umpires are on the road 140 games. They don't have a home. They have a crew of two or three, sometimes four. They have a minivan and they drive. What? you know, yeah, they don't have a home. So, um, there, and this is obviously like, again, it takes awareness to not just say like, F those guys, you know, I don't want to, um, but to understand that they're humans too. And a lot of them are married. And for the guys that have played a professional sport, being married is not exactly the easiest. So I think just like humanizing them, uh, is really important and just like I'm yeah and I mean I came up with a lot of them you know guys who came in to the lower levels when I got drafted to when I got to the upper levels some of them got to the upper levels as well so it's kind of cool to like celebrate their success and obviously you know the better they think of you that that word spreads so then hopefully they take care of you yeah. Yeah. You certainly, it looks very, uh, connective and, and just as you said, it doesn't, uh, it seems like you have a, a character that's revealed and demonstrated in how you carry yourself. Right. And so you can have all the talent in the world, but if you can't influence for good and use that talent to really make your environment better is not much of a point. Right. I mean, that's on a baseball field in a boardroom and a, in a roll call briefing room or, wherever you are. I, I also do want to kind of um, talk about this thing. 
that there's this really interesting thing. There's a hierarchy in professional sports, right? And there's the, the different levels. There's a hierarchy in policing and in, in organizations. How have you found to compete for a position without competing with an individual? And what I mean by that is, you know, there's only one center fielder on the, on the field at a time. Uh, in policing, those are, we have folks that test for promotion and you want to compete to be uh, the person that is chosen without competing with the other person to put them down. If there's only, only so many spots, how do you speak to competing to gain the spot without degrading the other person that you're competing with? So this is honestly my favorite topic to talk about because it's prevalent. Like you said, everywhere there's yeah. any sort of competition. And for some reason, I don't know wh where this started. Maybe it's just the nature of competition. But instead of looking inward and competing, you look outward and compete. Mm -hmm. And I think I'll speak to it in team setting first. If the minute that you go outward and try and compete with a guy across from you in a negative way, you're making the team worse. And I'll explain why. So, like you said, there's one center fielder. Well, him doing well and me hoping he does bad doesn't help me at all. Him doing bad and me hoping he does bad doesn't help me either because now I have to I have to perform. And so it, it took me a while to get to the point because I think human nature, you get intimidated. You're like, hey, that guy might have this skill that I don't. Um, you know, he might be faster, stronger, hit the ball further. You know, he's got uh, more hype than I do. And in baseball, hype is everything. You know, how the media sees you. And, and so I remember in 2017, my career totally changed because I was like, I'm going to go all in on my teammates. Like, I don't know, owe them anything. They don't owe me anything, but I'm going all in on them. Yeah. I'm going to lift them up when they're struggling. I'm going to cheer for them when they're succeeding. And I found out within like three games that doing that changed my whole aura in the dugout. My energy changed. The coaches noticed all my teammates noticed because now instead of me going from failing and then going in my shell and struggling and maybe, you know, throwing my bat or hitting the water cooler that you, like you see these guys on TV, I would then go to the guy who is, who maybe just hit a home run or just made a nice catch the inning before and be like, Hey man, that was incredible. I was huge for us. Like whatever. So it totally took my, attention from me put it on them one made me feel better then two showed them that i actually cared i was actually paying attention to what huh. they were doing and then as the season went on i felt guys like really cheering for me um and so like going back to kind of this competition thing like i think the sooner you can put the ego and pride aside and actually genuinely cheer for the the man or woman that is competing with you for that spot one it's going to make them better and then two it's going to make you better and i mean both of you have been in leadership positions where i'm sure you've seen it plain as day but 
that person who's just toxic. Like you don't want to be around them. And I think that is the toxicity of the negativity of competition. Nobody wants to be around it. Like we want competition, but still you succeeding has no bearing on me succeeding. You know what I'm saying? Like if you fail, I still got to perform. If you succeed, I still got to perform. So you might as well succeed together. And that's the way that I view it. Man, you've just described, you know, a high performing team, you know, and, and the whole concept, you know, in that the success of a team is not, you know, it's collective, you know, it's not about you. And, you know, and you mentioned, you know, those, the toxicity and, you know, you can have as much competency or talent, right? That, that toxic person could be a great player on the field and, and that's great. But at the end of the day, you know, they're performing, you know, for them, for ego. And, and if they're not helping anyone along the way, it, it really does hold the team back. And we see that in organizations and, you know, and this is where, you know, that overlap for me with sports, you know, comes into teams. And it's something that I, you know, I have such a, a deep, you know, wanting to learn and and understand more high performance teams. And man, I tell you, it doesn't matter whether it's a boardroom or whether it's on the baseball field, it all is the same, right? Literally all the same. Yeah. So let's, let's make a little shift here, Braden Bishop, and, and really talk about your mom, Susie, and, and how that tragedy kind of came up when you were at UW and what you did with it. And I love the hat. Let's take care of each other. And for mom is a remarkable organization that you started out of uh, what I understand is love and anguish for what your mom was experienced. Can you enlighten us to that its emergence and then kind of where you are now and then where you see for mom headed? I always wanted to start some sort of charitable organization, but when you're younger, obviously, most of the time you don't have something so personal. Sure. So I remember when my mom got diagnosed with, uh, at the time, early onset Alzheimer's, she was 52. I was, uh, I had just turned 21. I was at UW in Seattle. And then my parents were in the Bay area and it was September. My parents called me and told me what was happening. And, I just, I mean, there's, there's media stories, um, on this. I've talked about it before, but I, I remember kind of slipping off my couch because it it felt like the finality of that phone call, like ended my life partially. Um, at least how I knew it. And I remember I definitely went into a hole and the only person I told at the time was my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. And I was just so confused, you know, and, um, I remember maybe a couple of days went by the strength and conditioning coach at Washington at the time, pulled me into his office and he was like, what's going on? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you're not yourself because I was the guy who has always had energy. And, you know, at the time I was a junior going to be drafted. So I kind of like took a leadership position on the team. And that's when I, I, that was the first person I told other than Brianna. And I remember he came to me and was like, you know, we should do something about it. 
so we ended up holding a, a it was a deadlifting competition where we invited like all these power lifters in the area to come in um and we charged like five dollars to get in twenty dollars to to lift in the competition i mean maybe we had like 30 lifters maybe like 150 people came mostly the whole team came and that was um my mom was very hesitant for people to know you know because she was a a big time producer in hollywood she was the uh president of nbc pictures uh she made hallmark movies uh you know helped start law and order so like this you know from the outset this is a very powerful woman and you know had it together and that she i convinced her to come to that event and i think she saw that people would embrace her rather than turn their back on her or think that oh this is you know ew you know she's sick like it just doesn't work like that you know people want to rally around you so that was the first event we held not only did it show me that if i have a platform i can use it for for good especially in this this alzheimer's community but then also too my mom will embrace her sickness and let people support her um and so that's where it started and then there was a our sports information director at Washington. His name is Brian Tom. I give him all the credit in the world because without him, we would not be here um, now. And he basically shot the story to everybody: ESPN, Baseball America, uh, King Five, Fox. I mean, you'd name it. He he sent the story, and I mean, within I mean two weeks, I was on ESPN, Sports Illustrated, Baseball America, telling the story. And uh, we partnered then with the Alzheimer's Association, which is the national foundation for Alzheimer's, um, and then split off after I got drafted by Seattle, um, which helped a lot as well because the story didn't have to be retold. Sure. Um, And so then I got drafted. That helped elevate the story. Um, the platform grew. I went to the Arizona Fall League, got put on the 40-man roster, made it to the big leagues. And now, you know, we're holding a cornhole tournament charity event in downtown Seattle in July of 2019. Um, had a top golf tournament. We raised $85,000 in 2019. Um, and then obviously COVID makes uh, events in person a little tough. So we definitely shifted our focus, um, started making a documentary because I thought what better way to honor a filmmaker than make a film. Right. Um, and I would say since COVID hit, we've we've almost gone bankrupt like three times. Uh, we've gone through two director, executive directors, and you, you kind of learn that the philanthropy space isn't so philanthropic all the time. <laughs> Um, but there've been crazy challenges and, you know, amazing people that we've met to now, I think we sit in a place where I feel pretty comfortable that we can actually like help people. Um, you know, we sponsored a family in San Diego who actually, he got Alzheimer's at 47, uh, which is extremely early, like less than 1%. 
and he's got four kids on the age of 10. Uh, he coached my wife uh, when she played basketball at Washington. And so, he, again, powerful individual, got it together, big-time recruiter, big-time coach, gets Alzheimer's, life's over. Um, and, again, like I said, there's like a finality to it. And his wife reached out, and we were able to raise $130,000 for them, you know, because – alzheimer's at that young like you don't get social security you don't get medicare you don't get any benefits and so just like be that support system for them like that's kind of see where we are now and where i want to go is like we're going directly into houses like we're sitting on your couch we're crying with you like we're not some like big like let's accept money from pharmaceutical companies and like give you some miracle drug because that's not how alzheimer's works it's way too complex like the brain's way too complex so that's where i want to be is like giving these grants away helping families directly but then at the same time like educating people my age that like what you do to your body and how you treat it now is going to affect you when you're 40 and 50 so like don't put it off like it's mm-hmm. going to be too late um, and i see that with people like my mom and like coach kevin you know, who are getting at 47 and 52, like those are life decisions that are made well before 47 and 52. So that's where we're at now. Uh, long winded answer. Hey, but, but compelling Braden, because really what's remarkable is you're faced with this, uh, incredible tragedy and this, as you said, this kind of life altering information, and you're a junior, you're just about to get drafted. You're just about to experience this incredible part of your life and you're struck with this. And I think it resonates with people about how you how you engage in that, still live your life. And then out of the tragedy spawn this, this uh, charitable desire that you have. And it's become something super meaningful and interesting. If uh, it really speaks to your resilience. And so you've said a few things that I'm sure our listeners are like, well, wait a minute. He did uh, that in college. He struck with something and really bounced back. He struck with uh, this shift in baseball that you talked about with in terms of competition and your attitude. How have you found that you build your resilience? That is something that all of us, irrespective of where we serve, we need when those things hit us, the nudges. Uh, awareness or tragedies and darkness how do you what is your practice for building the consciousness and then the awareness to and the capacity to bounce back Mm, i mean i think one i see my life as like this seek and find mission like i'm like constantly i just like feel like if i'm not seeking to try and find something to make myself grow or be better like I'm doing myself, my family, my friends a disservice because I'm not giving them the best me. Um, but I, I, I would say that I, I've got to a point where I seek uncomfortable shit. Like I, mm-hmm. I just like whether Very it be human of you, yeah. And I mean, <laughs> and I, mean I, I don't know. I mean, because okay, for me, I get this gut feeling like I don't want to do something. You know, whether it's like a phone call to network and I'm like, I don't really want to be on the phone. Like I don't know this person at all. What if there's awkward pauses? 
like the minute I get that gut feeling, I'm like, I'm doing it. You know, if like I got uh, like a little recovery studio where I have like an ice, you know, one of those cold plunge ice barrel. Very Wim Hof of you. Mm. Very Wim Hof. Yep, exactly. And when, you know, when I wake up at six and it's 38 degrees. Yeah. I'm like, the last thing I want to do is get in that. And I'm like, I'm getting in it. Uh, you know, I'll do sauna at night and it's 140 degrees. And after 12 minutes, I'm like, I need to get out. I'll just stay in. Like, I just feel like I get to that place mentally where my mind tells me to do something. And I almost just, I'm like, okay, I'm like 40% of the way of my full capacity. So I'm just going to keep going. And just like viewing it that way, mentally, totally change everything my relationships how i communicate uh how i see growth you know like i said like where my mind tells me i can go if i see it as that's only like 40 or 50 percent of what i have like i push myself and realize like if i would have stopped who would i have been you know um and so that's how i would answer that wow it's remarkable what you're talking about with discomfort notice it don't get carried away in it and drive on. That is a serious leadership lesson, bunny filling. Big right, time. Kristen? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I'm and so just in that that same topic area, you posted uh, something on Instagram that it's just struck me. It was so profound, and it was a tribute uh, on Mother's Day to your mother. And you said. There's a time that I remember when I did not know pain, when I believed in forever and everything would stay the same. Say more about that. And and that's the time of your life where you didn't see this tragedy that it was going to be on your journey to arguably one of the most important people in your life. And you didn't know that that pain was around the corner. How has this changed you as a human being now that you know and feel this intense pain of loss and suffering? You know, how does, how, how does, how are you, you know, and have you dealt with that? But how has that changed you from that, that, that moment before you, you knew what it was like? Yeah, man, that's, I mean, I definitely got chills uh, just thinking about that moment on my couch. Um, you know, so it's like, you're talking about like minutes of like, my life was this way and now it's this way like that. And, uh, you know, it happens to, in, to people in different ways. Um, in my case, it was kind of a more drawn out process of losing somebody. Um, and you lose them. For me, I lost her twice. Mm-hmm. I lost her mentally. Then I lost her physically. And I've said before, like, I learned to, well, first, when you're younger, you know, you don't think bad things are going to happen. You really don't mm-hmm. even think about it. All I'm worried about is like, who am I going to cross up on the basketball court, you know, this afternoon after school? Um, and so you don't think about like the severity and life. And, uh, and so that, that moment on my couch, you know, I realized that like bad things are going to happen and some are going to be, you know, health related like that, you know, some are going to be work related, you know, some are going to be super personal. Uh, but I, uh, I know that that now, if I could give myself at that moment, any piece of advice, 
it'd be like embrace the pain because not only is it going to make you stronger, but it's going to make your circle stronger and it's going to make you a better human being. And, and on this journey of growth that I'm on, like, I just want to be the best human I could be. And I felt like, um, losing my mom, like broke my soul in a way, but also she gave me the tools to rebuild it. And I see that now and I'm a better man for that. And I give her the credit. Um, so like with this tragic loss came just like profound finding of myself, um, which then has made me stronger, my family stronger. And I think like she would be proud of that, which, which, um, definitely lets me sleep better at night. What a beautiful tribute. Yeah. What a beautiful tribute. There is no doubt in my mind that she is looking down with and beaming with absolute pride at, at the man that you are. So thank you for that. Oh, and I see Ted has manifested. Something before we get to Ted, because really on on this space, no doubt your mom not only is proud of you and was proud of you as a man and uh, really built and part of who you are. Uh, You've said a couple things. You get the gut that you don't want to do it. So that means you do it. You're in discomfort. So you push on and you said something so profound and we're we're recording this on a day that's the anniversary of my mom's passing. And so it's a super resonant uh, thing is embrace the pain. Mm. You're telling folks listening to this podcast, Braden Bishop, that don't avoid the pain. Don't numb it. You're telling them to embrace it, to notice it, and to build this resilience within themselves. And that is a remarkable thing that you're saying. Uh, and I don't want it to be lost. And I just really, uh, I think we all have mad respect for that because that is an approach that has really built the the man that you are and how you show up in this world. And I just want to just really underscore that for folks that are listening. It's remarkable. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. And part of that is it's so interesting because so much of what we're talking about, pay, embarrassment is pain. Going back mm-hmm. to even uh, the getting on the rink, that's mm-hmm. pain. And so you will kind of engage in your life with being a dad, being an influencer, is to get people to to notice that pain and to work through it. It's going to be very interesting to, to witness you throughout the years. Um, so you know what this means, Brayden? It means that Ted is up on the screen and Ted has a, uh, a question for you. Well, as a former television sports reporter, I've got sporty questions to to ask. And I I think it it will tie in, though. Wikipedia says that you are a free agent. Mm -hmm. I'll ask you directly. Is Wikipedia right? Yeah, it's right. Okay. So in your mind, you're 29 years old. In your mind, where are you at in your career right now? And then how motivated are you to continue? Because the shelf life of a professional athlete is so much shorter than the professional lives of the rest of us. And so you only get one chance to do it. And then how motivated are you to continue? Because being an athlete gives you a greater platform to do all these things you're doing for the foundation. Definitely. Well, I'll tell you, baseball is not getting any older. They're only getting younger. So, and I think that's with every sport. 
So, I mean, the way I look at it is making it to the major leagues was probably one of the hardest things I'll ever have to do. I mean, you can't even fill a full baseball stadium, which I don't know, average attendance, probably 35,000 people. Can't even fill a full stadium with how many people have played in the major leagues in the history of baseball. So we're talking like wow, Babe Ruth. You know, there's less than thirty five thousand of us. So, the, uh, you know, the the club in the major leagues is very very small, and uh, I take a tremendous pride in that that I got there, and uh, my work got me there, and you know, my intentions got me there. So, if I were to not receive a call, I would have no regrets. Um, you know, I f- fill my bucket every day. Um, I invested in myself. And physically, I know I got, I'm probably in the best shape of my life, physically and mentally. Um, And I know I have more to offer. Uh, But at the same time, having this charity, and like you said, being a Major League Baseball player affords you so many more opportunities in the charity and philanthropy space. Because for some reason, I mean, I don't like it, but people are more inclined to come to your event when it's major league baseball player, Braden Bishop, rather than account manager, Braden Bishop, you, you know, that's just the way Sorry, it is. And, I <laughs> and I don't like it. I don't like that, but that's, that's just the way it is. That's the reality, reality of it. But at the same time, being in that space, I see what like truly serving people looks like. And that fills my soul more than, hitting home runs and robbing home runs. So whatever, whatever is next, whether that's another five year, five years or that's it. Like I know that I have something that's going to drive me and that's serving people. And, you know, I'm ready for whatever that is in whatever capacity, but you know, I'm an athlete at heart, so I don't think I'll ever be ready to give up. But right back to what you what you led with was your why. You know, this has evolved into your why. And so if this were to go away, you know, then you know, you're left with, you know, such a, a greater purpose in life. And so, you know, this was the path that you were supposed to be on. And it's just been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Tell our audience how they can help you know, the foundation for mom, you know, what can they do? I know that you've got a coffee company. Is that, is that how we do it? We buy coffee because I'm all about that. I will do that right now. Uh, but h- how can people support? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one way. Um, I'd say go into our website, uh, for mom.org. So it's the number four mom.org. Um, it has everything about our story to where you can buy merchandise to, um, just a straight donation link, uh, all the information on our events, which uh, usually we do four big ones spanning from Arizona to um, the Bay Area um, and coffee is another one, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, $1 from every purchase goes back to the charity. Um, and coffee is good for the brain. So yes, it is. That's always a way. Uh, but then following us on our social medias, um, <clears throat> for mom charity on Instagram and then for mom underscore ALZ on Twitter. 
post everything from current events to past events to merch drops like this hat um though that's probably the easiest way to keep up with us perfect very cool Braden bishop well it's, there's no doubt that you have a very solid bunny i know you know the metaphor of the the package that everybody looks at that looks perfect and the chocolate bunny at easter and you unwrap it and snap off an ear i snap off an ear Kristen bites the butt <laughs> total butt biter she looks innocent but she's a butt biter and it's hollow and so we've used it as a metaphor for leadership so tell us what is is it safe to say that serving people uh is what fills your body yeah i'd say so i mean like for me i view it as like my soul um and i want to do whatever is gonna you know fulfill my soul make me feel like you know i'm fulfilled and i would say that i didn't never understood why my mom and dad used to be so on like family 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 because when you're a kid it's me 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 Mm -hmm. but then once i had a kid of my own and like a wife of my own you realize like family is everything and like you're gonna do everything you can you know to protect that and uh you're gonna make your decisions based on their feelings on certain things so i would say that's one family um i would say my faith is two and just how i you know it obviously isn't the same for everybody but um you know i do believe that like my relationship with god really now helps me navigate things uh, especially pain and and suffering um and then the last one that would uh complete the bunny would would probably be just like straight wellness like taking Mm -hmm. care of yourself when that's like mentally physically you know you said earlier um like getting to a a place where I like truly love myself and that's not in like a weird way but just like radical (laughs) self-love like change Mm -hmm. everything um how I interacted with people you know how I viewed uh failure like it wasn't so like I mean we've all seen those people freak out when they fail and get mad at themselves. Like everybody doesn't do it. Um, and to just like see those moments differently has helped me grow. So I I would say, I would say that like family, my faith, and then, uh, that, that wellness, personal wellness component. Wow. Well, thank you. I mean, the hype in baseball is real. The hype around (laughs) you as a, as a human being in which you, you are a bright light in this world, Braden Bishop. You're not only a fierce competitor on the ball field and fast as hell, by the way, with great hands. Uh, you are a remarkable soul and a bright light, really doing some incredible work on this earth. It is, this has been a delight for me. And Kristen, why don't we wrap wow. this thing? Yeah. Give Braden Bishop to all the Hollow Bunny listeners. Oh man, Brayden, thank you so much for being a guest. And just the last thing that you said also really struck me as well is that, you know, when your dad told you, hey, family is so important and you don't get it, you know, and when people say, you know, pain, you know, there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to feel intense pain and you don't get it until you get it. And it's one of those things that we can tell people, but you have to experience it for yourself. And, you know, you know that, you know, but it's, it's a difficult lesson to try to impose upon someone until they're 
they're ready to receive it or until, you know, they feel it. So, you know, thank you for that reminder as well. So I just wanted to thank you for, for joining us today. I've learned so much. I may even go to a baseball game now. So do it. Maybe. Yeah. You go to fourmom.org. Yeah. yeah, I will do that first. I will do that first. And then I might go to a sporty ball game and, and cheer really loud. Yeah. With like bullhorn. So yes. Well, thank you for being here and thank you bunnies, all of our listeners. Uh, we appreciate you uh, joining us on this podcast. This podcast is produced by Ted Madden and the song you're about to hear is written and performed exclusively for the hollow bunny by my son, Jake and his friend Zoe and Fabian. If you like the podcast, subscribe. If you don't just keep moving. Nothing more to see here. Take care, everybody. Thank you. When you look inside, what do you find? Are you content to fall behind? When you lose your way, when you pause your why have courage and get ready to fight the hollow buddy. Fight the hollow buddy. And we all feel hollow sometimes. But the lobsters are only in your mind. It's a tough pill to swallow, but if you're brave and kind, you'll be alright. I know I'm gonna fall, but I'll pick it up and come back stronger, failing forward and moving onward, doing the hard thing and the right thing forever, fighting the hollow bunny. And we all feel hollow sometimes, but the monsters are only. Monsters are